Okay. Okay, well, why don't you uh, be coming and finding your seats? And uh, if you're near the entrance lobby, then uh, you can encourage people who are chatting there to come back in. I know some of uh, the parents are still signing people in for their um, children's work, which is great. I always bless the people who do the uh, children's work and teach our kids at this time. It's, they do a great job and they serve uh, many weeks of the year. And so it's always good. My name's Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church. And uh, it's good to welcome you here. If you're visiting us, uh, especially warm welcome to you as well. And if you're new amongst us, please do check out the welcome desk at the, uh, in the entrance foyer in the lobby. Um, and you can uh, get information about who we are. There's a little card you can uh, fill out and uh, we can contact you week by week, just once a week through email, let you know everything that's going on. Uh, sometimes we meet in different venues because we rent venues. Helpful to know where we're meeting and uh, other things as well. Just want to make sure you don't miss out on uh, things that you could really uh, enjoy and benefit from. Okay, if you have a Bible, you might want to be turning to Mark. It's gospel and uh, chapter 14, we've been preaching through Mark uh, over the last uh, while and we're coming towards the end of Mark's gospel, Mark 14, and uh, we're really approaching the celebration of the Passover feast uh, when the Jewish people remembered their deliverance from slavery and from bondage in Egypt and this is the time of course when Jesus is destined to die um, as the Passover lamb. He will be the Passover lamb who will actually free many from bondage and their slavery to sin. And we're going to read uh, quite a lot of Mark chapter 14 today. We're going to read from verse 12 through to verse uh, 51. Hopefully I've put the last bit on the, on, the, uh, on the PowerPoint. I may have missed it off just thinking about that. Um, but anyway, if you've got a Bible, you can follow it. Otherwise, most of it at least will be on there. It says 42 on there. I'm going to go to 51. All right, this is what we see in Mark's Gospel. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will, will meet you. Follow him, Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where's my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who's eating with me. They were saddened and said one by one to him, Surely you don't mean me. It's one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips his bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it's written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he'd not been born at all. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he, took, he gave it to them, and they drank from it, all of them. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. 
When they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You'll all fall away, Jesus told them, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping again because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him, a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him underway in the guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you didn't arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Father God, we just pray that you'll help us as we preach through this passage today. Lord, we're, we're moved, just even as we read it, by what it was that you went through, Jesus. Lord, I pray you will bring it alive to us. You'll speak to us today. You'll open up our hearts to you and to what you have to say for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a lot going on here in this passage, and, uh, and I thought about dividing it up into smaller sections over different weeks, but I just thought actually to have the whole sense of what was going on in just a few short hours really was important for us to get our heads around, and uh, there's, we're going to try and draw together some of the themes that we see here, because uh, really the gospel is very much part of this passage. The gospel is really in what we've just read, the good news of God for the world. We can see in this passage, we're going to see three things. We're going to see that we are sinful and powerless. The disciples were sinful and powerless. And we can see through that that we too are sinful and powerless. But yet we see that Jesus is perfect and strong. He took the cup 
of God's wrath for us. And we're going to see that he did that so that we could receive life and blessing from God. So that's where we're going today. That's what we're going to get from this passage. Let's start off by looking at we are sinful and powerless. Well, throughout the whole of the gospel, as we've read the gospel of Mark, we've seen that this group of men that Jesus called together, his disciples, they were less than impressive people at times. In fact, much of the time, they were less than impressive. You kind of think, well, Jesus, why did you choose this guy, these guys? Why did you choose this bunch? Surely there were others who were more impressive to be leaders with you. They often didn't understand what Jesus was doing. They often lacked faith. But in this passage, we see it even more clearly defined. We see deceit. We see betrayal. We see uh, a lack of self-awareness and self-deceit. We just see weakness, not being able to do what you want to do. It really does not look good at all. Well, it's not good. It's not that it doesn't look good. It's not good for the disciples at all. At the start of this passage, we have two of the disciples, and they're, they're finding a room for Jesus uh, to celebrate the Passover with the rest of his disciples in the city. And you could be forgiven for thinking it, it looks like a bit of a spy movie, uh, what is going on. Jesus says, okay, just two of you secretly go into, the, go into the town and you'll see this man carrying a jar of water and go up to him and follow him to a house where I'll tell you where he's going to lead you and that's the house. It's like, oh, it's all secretive and deceptive and what's this mysterious man carrying a jar of water? Most of the time it was women who carried water um, but this time it's uh, a man and uh, so it's like we, we, we're almost expecting, and, and he's going to say to you the code word, and then you can go to the door and knock on and say the code word, shibboleth, or whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, and, and it's, it, 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 you're kind of expecting this drama, and you're thinking, why, why is all this going on? Why is Jesus even doing this? Why didn't he just go, oh, yeah, just, just go around to Simon's house. He, he, he fed us last time, and Mary and Martha, let's just go there. Well, the reason Jesus isn't doing that is because he doesn't want Judas to know where they're going to eat. He doesn't want Judas to reveal it to the authorities. If you remember back to last week when we read in the passage, Judas at that time decided he was going to betray Jesus. He was going to hand Jesus over to the authorities. And he goes and they, and they offer him 30 pieces of silver. And, and Jesus knows this. So, and, it, and it says they're looking for an opportunity. Judas was waiting for an opportunity to hand him over. And what better opportunity than another meal, a private meal, no crowds around celebrating the Passover. Judas is probably thinking, great, I can lead him, I can lead them to him there as he's eating. But that wasn't the time it was going to happen. So Jesus, knowing all this, makes special arrangements, this kind of deceptive little thing. So Judas, who wouldn't have been one of the two, turns up with the other disciples, the other nine, and uh, not really knowing where they're going. He can't lead the authorities to Jesus at that point. The Passover meal was to be far more than just the annual celebration of God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt because this was to be Jesus' final meal on earth and it was to be central to his plan of salvation for his. He's going to take the elements of the meal, so some of the elements of the meal. He's going to take the bread. He's going to take the wine and forever they're going to be associated with his death on the cross for us. His body becomes the bread. His blood is wine 
to us. So this wasn't the time for Jesus to get arrested. This wasn't the time for Jesus to get arrested. We can read these passages in, in Scripture and we can be tempted to think, oh, at this point in the story, things are quickly getting out of control. Things are quickly getting out of control. Judas is handing Jesus over. Jesus is going to be standing before the authorities. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be whipped. He's going to be put on a cross. It's like, oh, he's not in, he's not in control now. It's all the others. Things have spiraled. Not at all. Not at all. Jesus is always in control. He's very much the master of his own death. He was in charge the whole time. He knew the time that they were to come was to be Gethsemane. God's in control. And a God who is in control when the very foundations of his earthly existence are crumbling. A God who's in control at that time is a God who we can trust. He's a God who can be trusted to sustain us when it looks like our life is caving in. We might suddenly think, oh, I don't, where's God in all this? It looks like it's all happening around me. It's looking like I'm victim of circumstances. Where's God? God hasn't gone. God is very much in control, even if we don't see it at the time. So in the evening, Jesus gathers with the 12 for the meal. And as they're eating, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. Not just someone on the fringes of the group, not just someone who's been, who's been tagging along, but no, one of the 12, one of Jesus' closest friends. Now, as I say, we knew last time how, uh, how Judas had got to the point. He'd got frustrated with how things had been uh, with Jesus. He'd got frustrated with how things had, should have been done, and he'd gone to the chief priest. John 12, verse 6, tells us that he was actually a thief that Judas was a thief. He'd been the keeper of the disciples' money, but John 12, 6 tells us he used to take some for himself. He'd begun to take the money for himself. I mean, obviously people didn't know that at the time. None of the other disciples knew. And so they all start saying to Jesus, surely not me. Surely it's not I who's going to betray you. Now clearly Judas at that point knew it was him. He knew he was going to betray him. He'd already made the agreement, but he keeps up the pretense. He keeps up the pretense, and he says the same as the others. Oh, surely not me, Jesus. Well, clearly, he's got to be shaken at this point, because Jesus knows. Jesus knows. I mean, the whole pretense about where they're going to eat, and his plan of being foiled at that point, and then Jesus is like, one of you is going to betray me. What would have been going on in Judas's heart at that point? What would he have been thinking? This was an obvious opportunity for Judas to repent. Jesus is giving Judas an opportunity to repent. Now, of course, he's still got to go to his death. But he's one of his closest friends. He knows. Judas, this is your chance. John, John says, he, he says to, he says to um, Jesus says to John, you know, it's, it, it's the one who I dip this bread and give it to. It, it's almost as though they were there together and there's John at one side and Judas at the other and John's saying, well, who is it? Who is it? It's the one I give this to. And he, get, he dips the bread in something and he gives it to Judas and Judas takes it, but he doesn't repent. <coughs> this is a chance for Judas. This is his last chance and he doesn't take it. And it's going to quickly lead 
to his own destruction. Sin gets a hold of our hearts. Sin leads us to deeper and darker and more destructive places as time goes on. I would imagine that when Judas was first called by Jesus three years before, I wouldn't imagine Judas is setting out to be deceptive at that point. He's not got a plan to hand Jesus over. He probably hasn't even got a plan to steal the money as he he wouldn't have even known he was going to be given that responsibility. He began to follow others, but then he's also following other idols. Money's obviously an idol for him. He's lured by it. He's got the opportunity. Oh, I'm the one who can keep it. Well, I'll just take a bit out. No one's going to know. You know, Jesus is saying, go to these places and don't take anything with you. And and, that seems ridiculous. We need to be a bit more responsible than that. Maybe I'll hold some back, and then when it runs out, I I can give it myself. Maybe that's how it starts. I don't know. But bit by bit, Judas has has been won over to the power of sin, and it's got a hold of him. It's got a hold of him. He began to love money more than he loved Jesus, to the extent where he's willing to to hand hand Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one, and love the other. Or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We see that so clearly in Judas. And it can happen to us too. Our hearts can be divided and then stolen. We can't have two gods. We can't serve God and money. We can't serve God and sex. We can't serve God and popularity. We can't serve God and success. We cannot have these idols because when we get so deep into loving our idols, we can't turn back. It can be so difficult to turn back because our hearts get hardened. Our hearts get hardened. Last Sunday in the meeting, God encouraged and spoke to the church that there's no one who has done something so terrible that it couldn't be forgiven. God spoke that during the worship time through someone. And, and some people will have heard that. Maybe you're here again this morning. Some people will have heard that and you'll have known in your heart, this is my chance. This is my chance to come clean. This is my chance to repent. But yet there's a wrestling going on, a battle going on in your hearts. No, I love this so much. I want to keep this thing that I've been doing. I want to keep this secret. And no one knows about it. And I can control it. And I can make sure it's okay. And I can still love God as well. And maybe you wrestled with that so much. And you thought, shall I repent? Shall I repent? No. And you held on to it. And you didn't. Maybe you hardened your heart again like Judas did. That may be you. But by God's grace, you're here again this morning. By God's grace, you're here again. Don't continue in sin and rebellion and hard-heartedness against God. You may not get another opportunity. You may not get another opportunity. Jesus warned Judas And he warned the others, woe to the man who betrays the Son of God. It would have been better if he'd not been born. There are severe consequences for our sin. Terrible, severe consequences if we don't turn. If we don't repent, it would be better if we'd have not been born. Because of the eternal punishment that waits for us. The wrath 
of God and his righteous judgment. It will come. God's word says it will come. Let's not fool ourselves that everything will be okay. I would love to be able to just say, hey, it'll all be okay though. God's good. That's not what the word says. The word of God says you have to repent. You have to turn. You have to turn your heart back to God. Soon after this, Judas killed himself. He was so full of remorse of what he'd done. But it was too late. It was too late. He hanged himself. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was so close to the kingdom of God. So close. Yet so lost. God, I pray. I pray, God, soften our hearts this morning. Soften our hearts to be open to your word and truth. Oh, Jesus, lead people to repentance even today, even now. But it's not only Judas. Judas was actively turning against Jesus. The others had great intentions, good intentions, but they couldn't carry it out. Jesus predicts all the disciples are going to fall away. And they say, no, no, not me. I'll never do that. Peter's the strongest. Even if all fall away, I'll never fall away. Unlike Judas, he was sincere in what he said. Judas knew. Peter was sincere. No, Jesus, I love you. He did. He did. I'll never fall away from you. I'll never disown you. Jesus says, you don't even know. You don't even know. You say that, but I see your heart, Jesus, Peter. You will do it. You'll do it today. You'll do it even tonight. You'll do it three times tonight. I'll never do that. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Because God knows our hearts far better than we know our hearts. And, and we'll see later on that he did. We must never get too confident in ourselves. We must never get too confident in ourselves. Let's get more confident in Jesus. Let's put all our confidence in him and none in ourselves. The only way we can do it is through his Holy Spirit. And we can receive his Spirit. But it's all God. We can't get confidence in ourselves. We can't get confident in our intentions and our desires, in what we're going to do for God, in that we'll never disown him. We've got to be careful, even in what we sing in our worship songs. There's, there's some worship songs which, which can proclaim what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. There was one called Take It All that was sung maybe a little while back, I don't know if it was here, saying, saying words like, Jesus, we're living for your name. We'll never be ashamed of you our praise and all we are today, take it all, take it all. Really? I'll never be ashamed of you? God, that's my prayer. That's my prayer that I'll never be ashamed of you. But in and of itself, it sounds a bit like these disciples. Even when we sang the other week here, Tell the World has lines like, I'll stand for you if it's all I do. I don't know. It just makes, it's like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. God, I need you. Terry Virgo referred to another one as he met with our leaders the other week. 
just, just about singing songs that, you, you know, what are we singing to God? There's a song that was very popular, I Will Worship With All of My Heart. It was a great song in many ways, but there's a, there's a line in that that says, I will give you, give you everything. And, and Terry said, as he was singing that one day, he just felt God say to him, thank you, I'll take your savings. And he was like, ooh. And he gave them. He gave them to the church. But we've, we've got it. If we're singing these words, we've got to mean them. We've got to be prepared to do it. Presumption is very dangerous for those who follow Christ. Far better to say, this is my desire. This is my desire to serve you wholeheartedly, but I know I can't do it alone. I need your spirit. And of course, of course we want to stand with Jesus if we love him so much. Of course we want to tell the world about him. And, and I get it. And I, and I think that's what the songs are trying to say. But we've got to make sure that is what we're saying because we need his strength and power so much. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. The Spirit is willing. But the flesh is so weak. You know, Jesus goes into the garden with his disciples, deeply troubled. He says, watch and pray with me. He's in anguish. It's his time of his greatest need. And they couldn't. Time and time again, they fall asleep. Can you not even watch and pray for one hour? Can you not even do that? At this time, this is when I need you the most. This is when I need you to be praying for me. This is when I need to be strong. As we'll see later on, no. Their eyes were heavy and they give in to the flesh. So be careful. Be careful when we make vows and promises to God. Serious things, even vows at weddings. Like we can write, these days you can write your own vows at weddings. I'm like, mm, you've got to be careful what you're writing, what you're vowing. I was looking at some that people have written earlier this week, people saying, I vow to always give you your space when you need it and to always be understanding and supportive no matter how stressed you get. Okay. That's, that's a big vow. <laughs> Let me tell you, being married for many years, that's a big vow. I vow to always talk to you when I'm struggling, hurt or sad. Really? It's yeah, a good intention. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> Debbie will tell you. But I never vowed to. <laughs> I promise to always be open and honest with you, even though it might take me right until before we go to sleep to get the words out. <sighs> These are tough things. You know, promise. Promise to pray for you every day. Really? Every day? That would be great if you could do that. They're big promises. The traditional vows are hard enough, I think. Fill your boots. Go, go with what you think. But just be careful what you vow. <laughs> the disciples didn't have the Spirit. So, you know, when Jesus gets arrested, of course, Peter denies knowing him. The rest of the disciples flee. One anonymous young man even runs away naked. That's pretty symbolic of us. We, we've got nothing. What do we bring? Nothing. Amos 2.16 says, even the bravest of warriors will flee naked on that day. Without the power of God, we simply can't live the way we'd hope to, however brave we feel. Now, we are the other side of the cross. We do have the power of the Holy Spirit available to us. 
how often do we not even call out to God to fill us with his Holy Spirit and give, a, give us what we need? We need his power and his strength. We often think we can handle things ourselves. We can't. We desperately need God. But let me encourage you, you can come to God now if you know him and you can say, Lord Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Give me the strength I need. So we've got more power than the disciples had available. But we've got to go to him. All right, that leads us to the second thing. That was the longest, by the way. That leads us to the second thing we see in this passage. Jesus is perfect and strong. He took a cup for us. He took the cup of the wrath of God. Jesus is approaching the last days of his life before the mission to his father uh, comes to an end, which he knew he'd been given. And interestingly, uh, up until this point, he'd been determined and he'd been strong as he knew he was going out to Jerusalem. His disciples and others are saying, why are you going to Jerusalem? That's not a safe place to go. And he's like, nope, we're going to Jerusalem. And he sets his face and he, he leads his disciples and he's, he's sure and he's determined. He knows it's what he's got to do. But, but it, it seems in this passage that his determination and his strength are leaving him. As he goes into the garden, it says he began to get deeply distressed and troubled. And, and it says, he prayed, my, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And, and it's like, oh, Jesus, you, you don't seem so strong anymore. You don't seem so convinced and, 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 and sure. And, you know, and then he goes further. And, it, you know, this is, a, this is a tough prayer. He prays. God, is there any other way, Father? You, you can do everything. Just, I just want to know, is there another way? Because I don't know if I can go through what you're asking me to go through with. That's, pretty, that's what he's saying. Let's, let's, not, let's not lose the weight of this. Father, is there another way? And, and, and he, he knows there isn't. And then he, he's wrestling. That's why he's getting his. That's why he wants his disciples to pray for him. He's wrestling, and he's. No, no, not my will, your will, your will. And then he has to go back again. It says he prayed the same thing again. Is there another way? Well, well why is Jesus? Why is he wavering? What's going on with him? What's going on with him? I mean, we might say, well, of course he's. Of course he's like that. He knows he's going to face death on a cross. He knows he's going to face agony on the cross. He's going to have nails put in his, in his wrists and in, and in his feet. And he's going to be suffocating. And it's going to be a drawn out and painful death. And Well, of, of course he's, he's going to be feeling that way. We, we would be enough to be deeply distressed and troubled. But it's more than that. It's more than that. And we see it, it's more than that. I mean, throughout history, many have died for the sake of Jesus. Many martyrs. And, and, and we're not dismissing how hard that would be. People were thrown to wild animals, burnt at the stake, crucified the same as Jesus. But if you read the history of those, it seems many of them faced it more calmly than Jesus did. They, they had the, the conviction of the Spirit. They, they knew they had an eternity with, with God. They knew it was the right thing for them to go through. There was a couple, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. They were burned at the stake in 1555, and they were tied side by side. And, and Hugh Latimer says to Ridley, 
B of God comfort, this is, this is typical English. <laughs> they were English. Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust will never be put out. Like, can you imagine? You're about to be burnt at the stake. The flames are coming up and you're saying, be of good cheer, play the man. <laughs> it's like, my word. <laughs> I mean, they were right. They were right. The blood of the martyrs makes the church strong. But Jesus was facing something more than they faced. Jesus was facing something more. It was more than physical torment and death. And the clues in his words, take this cup from me. I mean, what, what, what's he meaning by that? If it's possible, take this cup from me. And throughout the Old Testament, the cup, the cup is a metaphor for wrath and destruction coming on human evil from God. And, and you'll find it in a few places, but let's look at Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 17. We've got it up, up here. Isaiah chapter 51. Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained it to its dregs, the goblet that makes people stagger. Among all the children she bore, there was none to guide her. Among all the children she reared, there was none to take her by the hand. These double calamities have come upon you. Who can comfort you? Ruin and destruction, famine and sword. Who can console you? Your children have fainted. They lie at every street corner like an antelope caught in a net. They are filled with the wrath of God, of the Lord, with the rebuke of your God. We see it in other places as well, but this whole thing of the cup, the cup of God's wrath, the punishment for people who've rebelled against God, the punishment for people who've gone their own way. It's the cup that makes people stagger. And it made Jesus stagger. And it's the right and just response of a holy God toward evil. A God, a holy God who brings about justice and punishes that evil. He pours out the cup of his wrath and anger against sin. And, and some of us might struggle with that. Some of us might say, well, how can a loving God be a God of anger? How can a loving God be a God of wrath? But if we think about it, we'll know some of it ourselves. I, I know if someone harms my children, and I love my children so much, well, what's my response going to be to someone who harms those? Oh, never mind, never mind. It's all okay. I'm just going to give you some nice, warm love. love. No. I'm angry. I'm angry. That's the time when people can, can kill others because their family, their loved ones, that the more you love someone, the more that wrath and anger and in, you know, hatred and desire to bring about justice is stirred up. They go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. God created a world and it was wonderful. It was perfect. He created people. He created people to love him and worship him and to love one another. And sin turned everything away. Sin turned us away from God, turned our hearts from him. We hated God. We hate God. We don't want to live in his ways. And we hate each other. We hate being told what to do. 
And there's rebellion and sin. And God's response to that, a loving God's response to that, is righteous anger and wrath. They go together. He, 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 he held back it. He's, held it. He's holding it back now. We've not yet faced it. If we know Jesus, as we'll see, we, don't, we won't need to face it. If we're outside of that, it's still to come. It would be better if we'd never been born. How much more with God? Jesus had never faced that. Jesus had never faced that wrath and anger because he lived a perfect life. His heart was pure. But his mission from God, which he willingly accepted, not my will but yours, his mission from God was to bear the punishment for God's wrath on the cross. That's what he was facing on the cross. Yes, there was agonies of the nails and the, and the, and the suffocation, oh, but it was so much more. It was so much more. He was taking on himself all of that. Up until now, when he turned to the Father, he'd gone to the Father, he'd prayed, he'd known him. He'd known him, he'd known sweet communion with the Father. The Spirit filled him with the love of God. Now, as he looks at what's before him, as he contemplates the cross, all he sees is wrath. All he sees is nothingness. All he sees is the chasm and exclusion from his Father. For the first time ever since, since, for, since eternity, Jesus was seeing what it would be like to separate, be separated from his Father on the cross and to bear the full weight of his wrath against sin. And as he stared into it, he staggered. His soul was overwhelmed. He sweat blood. He said, Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way? But still, he chooses to drink. Not my will. Your will. Your will. How do we know how much God loves us? Because of what he went through for us. That's how we know how much God loves us. Love without action, it's just a concept. It means nothing. We know Jesus' love for us because of what he went through for us. We know the Father's love for us because he sent his only son to do it rather than pour out on us what we deserved. He became sin who knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5. Doing the Father's will was Jesus' prime concern despite looking into the face of hell. He took the cup of human sin, God's wrath, he looked deep into it, and then he drank it. He took what we deserved. He identified fully with us. And because of that, we can receive life. We can receive life and blessing from God. He drank that cup that was our cup, so we could drink another cup, the cup of blessing the cup that he gave at the Last Supper to his disciples. He offers it them and he says, this, this cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I'll not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. 
Jesus shed his blood for our sins. And because of that, we don't any longer have to drink that cup of wrath. Instead, we can share together in the blood of Christ. We can join in fellowship and, rec- and relationship with God, reconciliation with God through Jesus. We can be united and reconciled to each other. We can be set free from the power of sin. We can be set free from bondage. There's a new covenant now, a new promise between us and God, and it's a promise that God will keep. The first covenant, the covenant that Moses instituted, was sealed with the blood of a surrogate animal. This animal is going to die and take our sins, and it was temporary. It was temporary. It had to happen time and time again. The second covenant, the new covenant, was sealed once and for all with the blood of Jesus. That's the sacrifice. He was the sacrificial lamb. He was the Passover lamb. And he offers us the cup. And he says, take it. Drink it. It's shed for you. It's my blood shed for you. And we have to take it. We can choose. We, can, we take it. And we drink it knowing that we're trusting in what Jesus did for us. Not in ourselves. And when we take it and when we drink it, then we can receive from God. We can receive not what we deserve. We can receive all the blessing God has for us. We can receive everything God created us to be in the first place. How he loved us and created us to know him and love him and love each other and be at peace with the world and serve him for eternity. We can receive all of that again because Jesus has won it for us. Everything that Jesus had exchange for us. We can know reconciliation and intimacy with God. We can know his Holy Spirit filling us with comfort and life and power. We can know we stand clean before God, free of guilt, free of shame. And we can know that we'll have a wonderful future with Jesus into eternity. Jesus says, I'm not going to drink this again until I drink it in the new, in the kingdom of God. There's a kingdom of God to come where we will drink it with Jesus And we will share in him and we will know him and we will see him face to face. And we're looking forward to that day. There's an eternity to come where we will drink with Jesus. So, this morning, will you receive all that God has for us? Will you drink the cup of blessing that God holds to us? Or will your heart pull you another way like it did with Judas? Do you love the things of this world more than the Savior who gave his life for you? Many do. Do you? Or have you come to know the love of Jesus this morning? Gary stood and he led us in a prayer. And he said, let's just pray, God, will you speak to me this morning? Will you reveal your love to me this morning? My prayer is that he has. My prayer is that he has. And that if you didn't know this love of Jesus before, you will know it now and you will receive it and you will believe it and you will take the cup of blessing because Jesus has taken the cup of wrath. My prayer and plea to you this morning is come to Jesus. He's made it possible. He's shown you his love in the most amazing way. Come to Jesus. Turn from your sin. Confess your need of him. Receive his love, receive his forgiveness, receive his spirit 
so we can follow him and serve him. Why don't we stand together?